This time all of our elementary age students are dismissed for Bridge Kids grades K through five. Uh, you are free to, you're dismissed to your class right now at this time. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 21. 1 Samuel chapter number 21. We'll read the chapter in its entirety into chapter 22. Verse number 5. We'll start at verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 21 beginning with verse number 1. Beloved, this is the day that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad First Samuel chapter number 21, beginning with verse number one. Let's stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. First Samuel chapter number 21, beginning with verse number one. This is how it reads according to the English Standard Version. Then David came to Nov to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king, has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite. The chief of Saul's herdsmen. Somebody say, hmm. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. The priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, but it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. The servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Chapter 22. David departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. 
and he became a commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we read our text, every section starts with the travels, the movements of David. Then David came to Nov. And then after that, David rose and fled that day and went to Gath. And then after that, David departed from there and went to the cave of Adullam. We are seeing a man on the run. David is on the run because Saul is on the hunt. And because David is on the run, he is empty physically. He has nothing. No food. No armor. He's unprotected. He has no shelter. And though David while he's on the move, is safe from Saul, he still has other threats to his life. Threats of hunger and homelessness. What we see in David as he's on the move is we see a man in need of refuge. Refuge, a place of shelter and safety and protection. David needs refuge. And the question that the text is tailored to teach us this morning is where David turns to for refuge. And the question that is presented to us this morning is where will we turn for refuge in the time of trouble? To answer our question, we go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. David has fled to Nob, which is the city of priests. And there he goes to meet Ahimelech, who is the priest. And when Ahimelech sees David, Ahimelech, the priest, is gripped by fear because David is alone. And David's, uh, David being alone in some way poses a threat to Ahimelech. And David, in answer to Ahimelech's question about why are you alone, David comes up with some flimsy story about his purpose for being there. And of course, when we read this passage, a, 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 a question that naturally comes up is, is it ever okay to lie? Well, the Bible takes no time to condemn or to justify David for telling this story. And so I'm going to take the easy way out and not address it either. <laughs> the fact that the author doesn't take any time to address this issue of situational ethics means that there's more to the story for us to learn than whether it's ever okay to lie. And so let's push in and lean in to see what the author is trying to tell us this morning. David is in need of sustenance. He needs food. 
And so he asked the priest, do you have five loaves of bread? And the priest tells him, I only have holy bread. That word holy, as you know, means to be set apart or to be devoted to. This bread is devoted to the Lord. It is the bread of presence that was presented and dedicated to God every Sabbath. And the bread, once it was removed, was reserved and, and set aside for only the priest and his family to eat. This is all Ahimelech has on hand. Now, Ahimelech says, this is what I'm going to give to you, David. David is in need of sustenance, and sustenance is provided. But not only is he in need of food, he's also in need of armor. He is a man on the run because Saul is on the hunt. He's got his food, but now he needs some weapons. And he turns to the priest and says, do you have a spear or a sword? Ahimelech tells him, the only thing I have for you is the sword that you used to behead Goliath. And David says, you know what? There's none like that one. That's the one I want. Food, check. Weapon, check. David has what he needs. His needs were provided. And the means by which those needs were provided were the priest of the Lord. This is significant that he ran to the priest because this has actually become a pattern of David's. When David is on the run, when David is in need, he has a tendency to run to people in places that represent the Lord. Watch this. If we go back to last week's text, chapter 19, we found out David is on the run and he uh, flees to Ramah, which was the place of Samuel. And if you remember Samuel, Samuel is the prophet. And together, Samuel and David go and live in Naioth. And there in Naioth, there are a whole bunch of prophets there. And there, David is on the run. Saul finds out that David is there in uh, Naioth. And, and so Saul sends his servants to Naioth to kill David. But while his servants are on the run, once they get to Naioth, the, before they can get to David, the spirit first gets to them. And the spirit comes upon them and they start prophesying. The spirit stops them in their tracks to protect and deliver David from harm, hurt, and danger. Saul sends another group of servants to do the same thing. And there God does the same thing. The spirit comes upon them. They start prophesying and they can't do what they went there to do. So then Saul says, when you know you, you, you can't get people to do something, you just do it yourself. So Saul goes to Nioth himself and Saul himself with him, it's evil crazy self, the spirit comes upon him and stops Saul in his tracks and say, you too have got to prophesy because you, I've got to protect you and keep you from getting to David. David has this tendency of going to places and people that represent the Lord. And so God cares keeps, provides for David through these individuals and places. What are we to learn? Here's what we to learn first of all. In times of trouble, we should turn to God for refuge. In times of trouble, we should turn to God for refuge. And that's what we see happening here in our text. First of all, we see 
when we turn to God for refuge, God pro, uh, provides for David. We turn to God for refuge, for provision. And how do we know that, that this is what is happening here? Well, Pastor Dominic set this thing up for me this morning. I don't have to preach as hard. Thank you, Pastor Dominic. We can go to Psalm number 34. In Psalm 34, when we look at verses 8 through 10, this is what David says about this situation. He says, oh, taste and see. <laughs> that the Lord is good. Hold on, y'all. There are some passages that you ought to shout of just by hearing them. You don't need an explanation of it. You don't need somebody to preach on it for five minutes. You just hear all, taste, and see that the Lord is good. And it ought to be clapping in your hands, running in your feet, a wave of your arm or something to hear somebody say, all, taste, and see that the Lord is good. But I see you say, Pastor, I need you to preach on it. That's what I showed up here to do. So watch this. He keeps talking. All, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge, there it is, in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Beloved, that's what David is talking about here. David knows I was like, I was in need, but guess what? My good God provided. I was in need of food, and my good God made a way. I'd had need of a weapon, but my good God made a way. And the text tells us in Psalm 34 that those who fear the Lord don't have to fear that they will lack anything because they have a God who provides provides for them. And so with, with now that we are armed with his knowledge, here's what David invites us to do. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Beloved, we are summoned here by David to delight on God's goodness. And we do that by running to the Lord for refuge. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we turn to him for provision. So let us taste and see that the Lord is good. But not only should God be our refuge for provision, but the Lord should be our refuge for protection as well. I'm in the text. We see this beginning in verse 10. David flees Nov. Because staying in any place too long is unsafe for David. So he flees now to Gath, the land of the Philistines. The servants of the king of Gath identified David as a king. And they sing that song that the women sang when they said, Saul has struck down his thousands. But David hears 10,000s. David says, I know this song. I heard it before, and the last time I heard it, here's what the record is. Saul eyed David from then on. And so now, because he's heard this song before, and he knows what happened to him the last time they sung this song, now he's in fear of his life from another king. This king in Gath. And so he fears this king also will want him dead. So what does David do? David's best idea, the text says, is to act like he done lost his mind. <laughs> David, the text says, pretends to be insane, and he allows spit to run down his beard. And the king of Gath, he looks around at his servants and says, what is wrong with y'all? Do I not have enough madmen in my presence as it is? Why would you bring another madman into my presence? And so David is removed from the presence of this potential threat. His life is spared. David has been delivered from the hand of the enemy. Now, now, 
before, before we get to the deliverance, I want us to look at something that the text tells us about David. Because we have talked about David's faith and how much he's trusted God. David is a giant killer because of him trusting God and how he sees his God. This is how David has been portrayed for us up until now. But when we get to this text, the text shows us a, a different kind of David. Not a courageous David, but a fearful David. The text says he is, was very afraid. He's afraid for his life. And I'm convinced that, that uh, fear is a natural response to danger. However, David does not allow his fear to rule him or control him. Okay, you're saying show it to me. Here's how we know it. Psalm number 56. By the way, for the rest of this sermon, when you say show me preacher, prove it to me preacher, here's my answer. There's a psalm for it. Psalm number 56. And now Psalm number 56, there he is lamenting and crying out to God about his enemies and his attackers. But this is what David says in Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That is what David does. He says, I am afraid. It's a real emotion. It's a God-given emotion. I am afraid, but I can't stay there. I must put my trust in the Lord. But wait a minute, David. That is easy to say that. How can you be so trusting when you are afraid? There's a psalm for that. Same Psalm, number 56, verse 9. Here's why David is so trusting. In the last line of, of, of verse 9, he says, This I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. And I need to stop and parenthetically preach to y'all this morning because you need to hear this Simple but profound truth. God is for me. Rewind. God is for me. You say it now. God is for me. Do it again. God is for me. Do it again. God is for me. Oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God, that I serve a God who is for me. And beloved, I need us to hear this this morning because some of us live life like we serve a God that is against us. We, we think and, and, and we approach our wonderful God as if he's out to get us. We, we have this view of God that he is on the throne, but he's only sitting there waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. Beloved, that's not, a, that's not a, the, the right portrayal of a God that is for us. The God that is for us has a favorable disposition on us. The God that is for us, here's how the old church would say, he smiles on us. He has set us free. God is for us. He has a fatherly love for us. He is for us. And because he is for us, here's how he approaches us. He is ready and willing to forgive us, to bless us, to provide for us, to protect us, to commune with us. That's the God that is for you. And this needs to be said this morning because too many of us have a view of God that is primarily that of a judge that's sitting around waiting for us to fail. But that is not God's primary disposition toward us. We are his children. Think about how you love your children. And God loves you much more than that. This is the truth about us. Here's how God talks about us and thinks about us. We are his beloved, his cherished people, his treasured possession. 
God is for us in that when we, when we were, un- this is how much God is for us, church. When we were unable and unqualified to die for our own sins, he was so for us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die a death that he did not deserve, but that we deserve. That's how much your God is for you. And a God like that, I got to love him because he first loved me. A God like that, I want to serve. A God like that, I want to be in his presence because God is for me. God is so for me. This is not just David's testimony, but here comes Paul in Romans 8 saying, God, since God is for us, who can be against us? And this is how he ends it. Because God is for me, there is absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I wish I had a church in here this morning that was happy that there is nothing that can separate me from God's love. I can't do any more bad that will make him love me less. I can't do any more good that will make him love me more because all the love he has for me, he has shed upon me from the moment he first loved me and he will always love me with that amount of love because that's just the kind of God he he is. He is for us. Hallelujah. That's the God we serve. David says, this I know, <laughs> that God is for me. Child of God, do you know that? That's how the old preacher would say. He would ask you, do you know that 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 you know? Do you really know this? That God is for me. If you get it, then you will trust him all the more. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If you get it, you will say, when I am afraid, yes, I know that God is for me. When I have, when I sin, and when I sin and I, and I do my good sinning, this I know that God is for me. So I'm going to run to him and confess it. And turn from it. This I know. And even when I mess up, really, really, really mess up, this I know that God is for me. And so I know he's ready and willing to forgive me. This I know that God is for me. Okay. That's a long parenthesis. Let's get back to the main point here. God has delivered David from another enemy. David has run to the Lord for refuge. How do we know? There's a psalm, Psalm 34, beginning in verse 4. This is what David says. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David shows us that when we turn to the Lord for refuge, we we do it by seeking him through prayer. When we are in trouble, beloved, we are to call on his great name. When we are in trouble, we look to God for protection through prayer. And those who call on him can expect that God will deliver. I, I, I just, I, I, that's how much I trust God. I, I, I come here, look, don't help me preach this thing. I have an expectation that God is going to do what God said he will do. I have an expectation that God is a man of his word. I have an expectation that God will be faithful because he is a faithful God. Psalm 34 not only teaches us to seek refuge in God through prayer, 
But Psalm 34 teaches us that when we have been delivered, deliverance demands a response. I'm in the text. Here's the response of delivered in Psalm 34. Pastor Dominic already read it for us. Begin with verse 1. Here's the response. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Beloved, every victory calls for a celebration. Way back yonder when the Chiefs finally won a Super Bowl, there was a celebration. The one who calls the celebration is worthy to be praised. David commits to praising the Lord for every act of deliverance. Not just sometimes, but all the time. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Our souls are to boast in the Lord and not ourselves. We boast in the one who brings about deliverance. But David's deliverance is, is not a call just for David to praise. Watch this. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. <laughs> David's deliverance is an invitation for everybody around him to give God praise too. Here's a quick, this is free, I won't charge you for you. Sometimes our praise of the Lord is not because what he's done for us individually. Sometimes we ought to give praise for what he's doing in the life of somebody else. When you're struggling to give God praise for what's, uh, when, when things are not well in your own life, you ought to look to the right and look to the left and say, I know that sister's story. I know that brother brother's story. I know what the Lord has done for them. God, you're worthy. God, I bless you. God, I praise you. That's why, that's why corporate worship is so important. Because you ought to be able to look at somebody, even on your bad days, you ought to be able to look and say and get encouraged by the fact they showed up this morning. They done had a hell of a week, but here they are looking for heaven. And I can give God praise just from seeing that sister, just from seeing that brother. Hallelujah. God be praised. Every victory demands a celebration. So now David has been delivered. He is victorious from this threat. And he says, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This free too. If you want to change with the words that come on out of your mouth, give God more praise. <laughs> it's hard to praise and curse at the same time. David seeks refuge in the Lord for provision, for protection, but then the Lord also gives him some people. After fleeing Gath, David moves on to the cave of Adullam in chapter 22. And in that dark place, in that lonely place, David, who has been alone running by himself, is joined by his family. After his family joins him, 400 other people who were either distressed or in debt or discontented join up with David as well. And once again, we see David seeking refuge in his God. And because David seeks refuge in his God, God is restoring to David what Saul took from David. Remember, David... Before he had to leave Saul in Saul's palace, he was a married man. Saul was a commander over Saul's armies. But now that David's on the run, he's lost his family, his friends, Jonathan. He, uh, the presence of his friends and Jonathan, he's, he's no longer a commander. He's by himself. And yet what we see is God giving back to uh, David everything that the enemy stole from him. That's what happens when we seek refuge in the Lord. Now, y'all made some sounds while I was reading the scripture. I was reading the scripture and y'all went, hmm. And then if I remember right, it was right around verse 7 of chapter 21. There was this fellow that we were introduced to by the name of Doeg. The Edomite. 
And it said he was there and overheard the conversation between Ahimelech and David. Then the story just moves on. Strange. We learn now, going back, going into chapter 22, we learn why we were introduced to this strange character. All of a sudden, now the story turns in chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, Saul comes back on the scene. The text says that Saul and his servants are in this place called Gibeah. And he and there, while they are gathered together, Saul goes in on these men. Saul says to them, uh, look, look at how well I've treated you all. I've given you so much. Would David give you all of this and promote you to being leaders and, and commanders over thousands? And the way that Saul asked the question, he expects them to say, of course not. So Saul takes that moment to accuse them of conspiring against him. He said, none of y'all, I've been good to all of y'all, and none of y'all told me about my son Jonathan making a covenant with my enemy. I've been good to y'all, and none of you disclosed to me that Jonathan, my own son, turned David against me. And with these accusations, this fellow by the name of Doeg sees an opportunity. Look at chapter 22, verse number 9. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Noth to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. This is what my children call a snitch. <laughs> and after hearing all of that from Doeg, Saul says, go and get those priests of Noah and bring them to me. And Saul interrogates these priests and said, did you do this? Did you conspire against me? And Himelech speaks up and says, well, what we did was take care of your son-in-law, your servant. We did nothing out of the ordinary. This is what your servants did, Saul. And Saul is not buying it. And so he looks to his servants and says to his servants, kill the priest. His servants kind of look at him in my sanctified imagination. Like, you have lost your mind. The text says they refuse to kill the priest of the Lord. Saul's servants disobeyed a direct order and would not kill the priest of the Lord. That, that phrasing, of the Lord, hence they recognize that these priests belong to the Lord. And so Saul says, I can't get my servants to do it. Doeg, you, you spoke up. You kill him. And what does Doeg do? He takes the sword and slays. Not just Ahimelech, but all 85 priests of Nov. That's not the end. The text says not only were the priests killed, but everybody and every other living thing in Nov was killed. The men and the women, the children and the infants, the donkeys, the sheep, all slaughtered because of the snitch called Doe. What are we to learn from this episode? What we learned back in, in, in chapter 21, verse 7 about Doeg is that he was detained. And we could speculate, but we're not clearly sure why he was detained, but he's a detainee. We also know not only is he a detainee, but he is a foreigner. He's an Edomite. What the detained 
foreigner needs is actually what David needed. Somebody say refuge. That's what he needed. He is someone in need of refuge. What does Doeg do? Instead of running to God for refuge, he runs to Saul. How do we know that this man was in need of refuge? There's a psalm for that. Psalm number 52. Let's, let's look at that together. Psalm number 52, written by David or attributed to David, when Doeg the Edomite ran and told Saul about what happened. Here's how it reads. Why do you boast of evil, almighty oh man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, oh deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, lean in church, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Doeg Church needed refuge, but he does not make God his refuge. He seeks refuge in Saul. Not only does he seek refuge in Saul, he also seeks refuge in the abundance of his riches. He seeks refuge also in the work of his own destruction and killing the priests that belong to the Lord. Doeg, what Doeg doesn't realize is that in becoming an ally of Saul, he makes himself an enemy of God. And as a result, he is now on a path of destruction. Here's the lesson number two. Those who do not make God their refuge are destined for destruction. Those who do not make God their refuge are destined for destruction. That's what the psalm says in verse five. God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Here's a simple lesson for us, beloved. Let's not be doeg. Let's not seek refuge in worldly partnerships motivated by selfish ambition. Somebody needs to hear that this morning as we get to election day. Let's not seek refuge in worldly partnerships motivated by selfish ambition. Let's not seek refuge in the things of this world. That's what Doeg did. He wanted refuge in riches, in the abundance of his riches. He sought refuge in the work of his own hands in destroying these priests. Any refuge in anyone or anything except the Lord is, uh, leads us to a path of destruction. So that's why Doeg's here is to show us the, the counterexample. David is the example to follow in seeking refuge. Doeg is the example of what we ought not do. The, key, the priests have been killed. But there, one person was able to escape the slaughter. That's the end of chapter 22, beginning in verse number 20. His name is Abiathar. Abiathar. He is a son of Ahimelech the priest, and he's able to escape. And when he, he, he's now on the run himself, he should have been killed, but he escaped. And now he's on the run. What we see is another person in need of refuge. And so where does Abiathar run? To David. And when he gets to David, here's how David responds to him. He says to Abiathar, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. 
David provides refuge for this refugee. The refugee becomes the source of refuge. David is not offering Abiathar refuge in himself. What he's doing is he is inviting Abiathar to find refuge in the one who is his refuge. He is saying, there is not safekeeping in me, but there is safekeeping in the God who is our refuge. However, We made it clear, David is not Abiathar's refuge. God is. However, Abiathar would not have refuge without David's intervention. Without David being in the middle, Abiathar would not have found refuge. David is a mediator of refuge. Abiathar finds refuge because he aligns himself with the Lord's anointed. Lean in, church. We were just like Abiathar. We were under the king's wrath. Should have been dead. Could have been dead. The difference between us and Abiathar is that we actually earned the king's wrath. When we committed treason against the king and sinned and rebelled against our king, we, what we need and, and needed was refuge from our king's wrath. So the king himself sent one who was a refugee himself. From the time that he was born, he was on the run because he had enemies that were out to kill him. But yet that refugee provided refuge for the very ones who sinned against the king. And today that <coughs> refugee invites us to come to him. And if we come to him, he will save us from the king's wrath. And all we have to do to be saved, to be delivered, to be rescued from the king's wrath is to respond to his invitation by putting all of our trust, there's that word again, in him. Not trusting in our goodness, not trusting in our own performance, not trusting in our own effort, not trusting where we came up, not trusting in how long we've been in church, not trusting in how long we've been on the worship team, not trusting in how, how, how often we come to church, but trusting in this refugee, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Beloved, we can only be saved, delivered from the wrath of God by running to the Lord's anointed, Jesus Christ, who died our death, was buried, but rose victoriously from the grave on the third day. But even after we are saved, we still have enemies to fight. Even on this side of the cross, we have enemies like Satan and sin that are on the hunt. And so when we find ourselves being chased after Satan and sin, today's text teaches us to run to a, the right place of refuge. Here's what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge, a very present help in the time of trouble. That's what we need to do this morning. We are people in need of refuge. We have enemies on the prowl, going to and fro, seeking whom they may devour. And so we have a decision this day and every day forward. Will we be like David or will we be like Doeg? Will we trust in God to be our refuge or will we trust in man to be our refuge? Worship team, you can come back. How do we seek God as our refuge? Through calling on the name of the Lord, 
by turning to him instead of things of this world. In times of trouble, we turn to God for refuge. Because any other place is a path toward destruction. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, our, for the word that we have received this morning. God, today we are reminded that you are our refuge and a very present help in the time of trouble. Today, God, we have learned from David's experience and David's responses that this we know that God is for us. And because he is for us, he is worthy of our trust. And we can expect him to deliver us. We can expect him to protect us. We can expect him to provide for us. Because our God is faithful. Our God is good. And our God is for us. God, we confess that we've had some doeg moments where rather than running to you for refuge, we've run to others, parents and spouses and friends. We've sought refuge in government and other systems rather than running to you. So God, forgive us. Have mercy upon us. God, we commit from this day forward as fully devoted followers of Christ to run hard after Jesus, to run to Jesus and toward Jesus in time of trouble, in time of distress, in time of fear. God, if there be some man, woman, boy, or girl who has not found refuge through Jesus Christ from your wrath Holy Spirit convict, convince and convert in Christ's name we pray Amen